This, uh, this past week I was in awe, and I'm sure some of you may have been as well as I watched news footage uh, that captured the devastation that occurred in the Virgin Islands, specifically at St. Thomas, as a result of a hurricane that had just passed through that area. And uh, even though it was 3,500 miles away, it seemed a lot closer and a lot more personal as we watched the devastation that occurred on streets that we had just walked not long ago on a trip that we, were, that we had gone on. And as I watched, you know, this, this story unfold and you watch sailboats up on sidewalks and buildings that are just knocked down and 85% of all the buildings on the island had been destroyed and cars were stacked upon cars. And, and as I watched victim after victim wandering dazed through all of the rubbish looking for bits and pieces of, of you know, of a life that they had watched no, once known, I couldn't help but be moved emotionally. And I'm sure if some of you have seen, had saw that or saw the, the newspaper uh, photographs that were there, it was incredible, the destruction that took place. You know, and as you watch these victims and you watch them sifting through all this rubbish and they're looking for a life that they had once known, I couldn't help but, but uh, you know, think of how similar that is to many people that I have come in contact with in my own life, victims of a divorce that through the post-rubbish divorce, were wandering dazed and confused and searching through the rubble looking for clues as to what just happened to them, wondering if they would find bits and pieces of a life that they had once known and a life that they had once enjoyed. And I couldn't help but see the similarities between the two. You know, and you wonder, how does something like that happen? What causes it? You know, like a hurricane, are there storm warnings that are mentioned ahead of time? that are warnings that if they're heated, you know, they'll, they'll preserve life. If there's action steps that are taken, will save people from the untold destruction that lies ahead. You know, I believe that there are. I believe that there's storm warnings. I believe that there are, you know, warnings that are visible and easy to see and easy to read. And uh, if we do something about it, if we take action steps, that we're going to also preserve lives as well. You know, it's sad to me to, to read and listen of accounts of men and women who lost their lives because they didn't believe that the warnings were accurate. And they stayed on their sailboats that they were living on and pretended like nothing was going on up above. And they hid down below and thinking that they were safe without having to deal with the issues that were at hand. You know, I thought how tragic that is that so many people will die in storms because they simply refuse to heed the warnings that are given them people that are experts in the area that say, look, we know a lot about weather conditions, we know a lot about hurricanes, we're telling you right now this is what's going to happen, you need to protect yourself from it. And they pretend like it's not real and it doesn't exist, and I see so many people in the area, area of marriage and family that do the same thing. So many friends that I have personally dealt with that have gone through, you know, a breakup in their marriage, and you sit down and you tell them, this is what lies ahead. Trust me, believe me, this is what's going to happen if you continue to go down the same road. This is what's going to happen if you go into your sailboat and you hide under the covers and pretend like the storm isn't going to destroy your life. This is what's going to happen to you. And if you're fortunate enough to wake up as a victim instead of not waking up as a victim, this is what you're going to have to deal with, all the rubbish and all the trash and all the devastation and the damage and the hurt and all the agony that goes with it. But hey, you know what? It's your choice. So you can't make people do something because you are convinced that they should do it. Somehow or another, you have to convince them through evidence that's objective that this is what lies ahead. 
And that's hopefully what we're trying to accomplish as we go through this, this marriage series. What I'm hoping to be able to do is say, you know what, it's easy, 20, I mean, hindsight's always 20-20 for the most part. It's easy to say, this is all, and looking back, this is why your marriage failed, or this is what happened, or this is what the signs were, and you didn't heed them. It's easy to say, this is why a sailboat ended up in the middle of the street. A anybody can do that in hindsight. Oh, the winds must have been strong, and it picked the boat up and threw it in the middle of the street, huh? Oh, 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 oh. yeah, I guess so. See, and it's easy to do that, and that's not the purpose of this. I'm not trying to, to, to help you to understand if you've gone through a divorce or, you know, if you've gone through problems like that in your life. This isn't to make you feel guilty about the fact that you ignored the warnings and you ended up in the middle of the street. What this is is to help all of us understand that a lot of our problems in life are preventable problems. There are things that we can do ourselves if we take the responsibility to take action. There are things that we can actually do to protect ourselves from the damage that can occur. And so what we're trying to do, and we started last week and we'll continue to finish it up this week, is we're looking at ten reasons that marriages fail. And the purpose isn't just to say, see, this is why they fail, as much as it is to say, look, if this is true of your relationship, that I would encourage you to do something about it. To take corrective measures so that you don't end up destroyed and devastated and wandering around dazed and confused, poking through the rubble, trying to figure out what happened to your life. And so we begin to take a look at ten, act, uh, ten, basically ten reasons that marriages fail. And the first one that we took a look at last time is uh, undermining activities. Undermining activities. These are activities that don't seem to be bad or good necessarily at face value, but there are things that if, our, if we do not deal with them, they're the little things in life that can destroy our relationships with one another. And we went into great detail, so it's just a matter of quick review. It's the little things that are, you know, what, what I like to call time bandits. These are things that begin to steal your relationship without you really knowing that that's what's going on. Little subtle, like the little foxes that destroy a vineyard, the Bible says, so are these time bandits that erode our relationships with one another. They're the things that we talked about, you know, our hobbies and, and the things that we like to do, whether it's, you know, like we were laughing about, you know, if, whether it's golf. If it's golf that's causing a problem in your relationship, you need to be able to communicate that and to work it out and to do something about it whether it's uh, other hobbies that you have, whether it's tennis or racquetball or some other sport or whether it's watching television. You know, what's interesting is, and I, and I want to bring this out because as time goes on, there are new things, new time bandits that have to do with technology. If you stop and think about it, I mean, 50 years ago or so, television wasn't a time bandit in a relationship, but, but now it is and it has been for a number of years and will continue to be. Now all of a sudden you can get satellite dishes and if you don't get channels 2, 4, 7 and whatever, like, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, and you had the little antennas and you had the aluminum foil on it and somebody had to stand there and I was always the youngest kid in the family. Would you stand there? That's nah, perfect. Okay, you just stand there like this. You know, that's, that's you know, no, no longer a problem because now you can get like 370 stations if you just go out and get that little trick satellite dish that fits on the house. And so these time bandits, you know, they, they evolve into new things. Give you, here, here's one that, that, um, that I forgot to mention. I'll mention it this week, though. And because I was paid a tremendous amount of money to mention this by some woman who shall remain lameness. <laughs> uh, she's in right there. No, um, there's computers. Computers can be a huge time bandit in a relationship. Now, seriously, we have some friends that, uh, that like to play all the different games that are on it. You know, they play chess on it, they play computerized football on it, you know, they got Sega and Nintendo and all these things. And these two guys, and, and they played on the Rams, these two guys would get together and they would start like about 8 o'clock at night 
and after the wife and the kids and everybody been they are still playing until three o'clock in the morning now I know some of you are thinking now if they'd have put that much energy on the field while they're here in California maybe they wouldn't be in St. Louis but anyway it's like but, but it was one of those deals where we got to be careful that that's not something that's eroding away at the foundation of your relationship so the bottom line is is that let me just encourage you in these areas of life you have got to be able to communicate if there is resentment and anger and bitterness over some activity in your life no matter what it is whether it's a job whether it's a hobby whether it's sports whether it's watching TV whether it's computer games whatever it is if it is robbing you of that intimacy then you have to be able to communicate with one another in order that you can deal with this and spend time together. The bottom line is this. If you want to develop a healthy relationship, you have got to spend time together. If you've got to schedule it, schedule it. If you've got to put it on your day timer, put it on your day timer. I know a man that every Wednesday he schedules a lunch with his wife and he blocks it out and his secretary knows it and you know that's just the way that it is. And there's nothing more important in that work week than to have that time together where they just have lunch together. If you need to schedule it, schedule it. But make sure that you do it. Make sure you spend time together. Whether it's a date night or just a walk around your neighborhood, whether it's the fact you like sports together and you do those things together, you go play tennis together or golf together, I don't care. It doesn't matter, see, because it's not my problem what's going on in your relationship. It is what goes on with my wife and I, and I've got to deal with that. But you do whatever you've got to do. All I'm throwing out are some suggestions. The second thing that we looked at is what we called an unprecedented attitude with regards to divorce. Not long ago, divorce was discussed only as a last resort. It was kind of like after every other possible solution had been exhausted. We tried everything. And out of desperation, someone says, if we can't get this to work, then there's no other possibility but divorce. It wasn't the first thought. It wasn't, oh, well, we tried for four months and it didn't work out. Let's get divorced. It didn't work that way. It was the last possible desperate attempt to resolve and to salvage a marriage wasn't the first thing that came to everybody's mind like it is now. We need to just eliminate that. Today, unfortunately, it seems to be the first thing that we think about. It's the first thing that's embraced. It's unprecedented. It's an unprecedented attitude of acceptance. Oh, well, we gave it a, a shot. Well, it just didn't work out. I was reading the newspaper this past week about Bobby Brown and Whitney Houston. How can anybody want to divorce Whitney Houston? What in the world is going on here? I don't understand. But it was like, Bobby Brown, listen to this. This is what he says. He was spotted wedding, ring, wedding ringless. Oh, good. We got a whole new term that we can deal with. A wedding ringless at a Big Apple night spot Monday. And this is what he told his friend. I, I've got to be who I am. I've got to be able to go out. Whitney and I are getting a divorce. I'll be fine and so was she. I just need to be myself. And I haven't been myself for a long time. Aww. Boo, I know, boo, hoo, hoo, hoo. Gee, what a poor guy. He's married to Whitney Houston. Oh, let's all pray for him. <laughs> what in the world? You know, and you read this, and, it's, and the sad thing is, so it goes. It's a culture that accepts divorce. And, uh, you know, just as, as a reminder, when you got married, or you, if you're getting married, understand this and understand it real quick. It's no longer me, but it's we. You need to understand that. It's no longer me, but it's we. 
See, it's no longer my house or my rent or my mortgage or my car or my job or my money or my kids or my mom or my mom. No, that's not my anything. It's not mine. It's ours. And you've got to work on that as part of your vocabulary. Just eliminate. It's not me anymore. It's we. Anybody been to a, we a wedding where they do that unity candle? The unity candle thing, you know? Anybody? Anybody? Thank you very much. Does anybody understand what it's all about? Okay, God says the two shall become one flesh, right? And the whole purpose of it is they take these two distinct lit candles on opposite ends of a candelabra, and a specific point during the ceremony, after the vows have been said and exchanged with one to the other, and they said, yes, you know what, this is what I promised to do, and this is what I promised to do, and do you promise, I do promise, and do you love, oh, I do love, and do you love, oh, I do love. <laughs> then they said, they go up and they get those two candles, and they light them in the middle, and they blow out the other candles, nursery number 504, number 504. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> it's, we're, we're just, number 504, number 504. Now we see the winner in the back of the room, number 504. Hey, we'll be waiting for you, number 504. It was almost like those gals that got walking through the ring at those big old fights, you know, the big championship fights. Five oh four, yeah, number five oh four, number five oh four. Actually, it's just a way we're trying to raise revenue. It's a little advertising thing we got going on. If you'd like your company name sponsor, we'll just walk it up and down the aisle, yeah, somewhere along the line. But no big deal. Hey, now you are watching, listening by tape. What's the road? Okay, here we go. Um, alrighty. Well, yeah, we were lighting those candles, you know. Because <laughs> we were blowing out two of them, and we were blowing out two, and we lit that one in the middle. Why? Because those two don't exist anymore. It becomes not me, but we, right? Now, I'm not saying you have to lose your identity, although now's the perfect time for this story. You know, not too long ago, I have a friend that owns some strip centers, and uh, we do some air conditioning work for him and stuff, and, and he said, well, meet me at this one strip center, and, and I'll buy you lunch, and there's a great Chinese restaurant. One of our tenants has a Chinese restaurant. So I go pulling up to this, uh, this Chinese restaurant, and it wasn't necessarily recognizable as a Chinese restaurant. I had the address, but I didn't know what the restaurant was because I looked at the restaurant, and the name of the restaurant was Bob Murphy's. Okay? So we got a problem here. I knew the address was right, but there's just something not working here. So I go inside, and there are the guys. He's waiting for me. We're having lunch together. And I'm going, wait a minute. I thought you said this Chinese restaurant. It is a Chinese restaurant. Well, what in the world? I mean, Bob Murphy goes, well, here, I'll introduce you to the owner. The owner comes out, a little Chinese guy. Hi, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Thank you for having me. How are you doing? Okay, I'm doing great. Thanks. Now, can you explain to me why you call this restaurant Bob Murphy's? He said, oh, it happened a long time ago. When I first come to the country, I go up to immigration. I go for a work visa. The guy in front of me goes up in front of the line. He says, the man behind the desk says, what's your name? And he says, uh, my name is Bob Murphy. And so he goes, okay, and he stamps his thing, and he gives him a work permit and a visa, and he goes off, and he walks away. And it was his turn. He goes up, and the guy behind the desk says, what's your name? He goes, Sam Ting. And the guy goes, and the guy goes, what? And he goes, same thing. And he said, what? You know how it is when you can't understand somebody, it's obvious that you have to yell louder. So the guy goes, same thing. And so all of a sudden I look and he goes, he starts writing Bob Murphy, he stamps my work visa, gives it to me. I said, hey, what the heck? And I left and I've been Bob Murphy ever since. So, but now, now what that means, now, you know, 
there was a man that understood compromise. He understood what he was trying to get. You know, he wanted to work visa, and he understood that. Now, let me just tell you something. There's, there's an important place in every relationship where you've got to learn to understand compromise. Two people become one in the eyes of God, and you've got to learn in many ways not to lose your identity. I like what... Um, uh, Ru uh, Billy Graham's wife uh, said, Ruth, when she was asked, he said, well, do you and, and uh, Dr. Graham ever argue about anything? And she said, oh, absolutely. And he said, oh, you do? Like, oh, good, hard copy. <laughs> you know? <laughs> said, oh, you do? And she goes, oh, sure. Because if we agreed on everything, one of us is unnecessary. <laughs> and that's true. I'm not talking about losing your identity as a human being losing your personality, losing the gifts that God has given you. But what I am saying is this. You need to develop a mindset that it's no longer me, but it's we. It's no longer mine, but it's ours. And we need to work things out. We need to work these differences out. Anyway, number eight. We saw that there was also what's called an unrelenting attack. We'll get into more of this as we go through and define the role of a husband, a wife, uh, parents, grandparents, children. Uh, what's the responsibility of women? But, you know, our society is bent on destroying what's called the traditional Judeo-Christian uh, family. You know, the, the husband, the wife, the children, the, you know, what's called the nuclear family. Our society is, is bent on trying to destroy that and to reinvent it into whatever shape and form that they think is appropriate. And one of the things is that, you know, I don't know if any of you have read about or heard about it, because stuff like this usually doesn't make the newspapers, because most of them are very liberal in their point of view. But this whole thing with this Beijing conference, women all over the world trying to redefine the role of a woman. You know, and, and the agenda is, in many, in many cases, to promote homosexuality, promote lesbianism, to destroy the image of the father as being the head of the household, to destroy the image that, that the Bible pictures and portrays of who we are supposed to be by the designer who created us. We need to understand that our society has been on destroying that. So all the feedback that we get around us is going to be contrary to what we're going to find in the Bible. And, you know, in the world, don't ever forget this. The world that we live in is hostile to the, thing, to the things of God. We need to recognize that as a truth. The other day, day one did a special on Focus on the Family and interviewed Dr. James Dobson. The lead-in to the interview was this. You've probably never heard of him, but he is one of the most powerful and influential men in Washington, D.C. today. You know, the, the implication is, you know what, you don't know anything about what the agenda is there. You don't know anything about what it means to be a husband, a father, a mother, a, you know, to be a provider as a man, to have children that grow up to love you and respect you and authority and to love God and to cherish the things of God. You, don't know, you, you probably don't know anything about that. That was the lead into the story. And I thought, you know what, in a lot of ways how true that really is. What God has to say has never been popular with man. God has to say things that man has always rebelled against, and that's what sin is all about, shaking their fist in the face of God saying, I don't like your design, we'll design it ourselves, and suffering the consequences as a result of it. So there's an unrelenting attack, and we can't lower our garden. We need to understand that, and we'll deal with it in more detail as we go through the series. Number seven is what's, what I would call unconcerned responses. Unconcerned responses. This often occurs when one spouse decides that he or she doesn't need the other one. You know, it's like there's no compassion for the other person. There's no sense of responsibility or caring what happens to them. We, we kind of treat our spouse like just another business decision. Well, you know what? It was working out pretty well for us. You had something to bring to the table. We had something to bring to the table. Now it seems like things are changing. And you know what? It just really isn't working out like it used to work out. So, hey, let's just end this little business deal that we've come up with. 
And that's the mentality that people are carrying over into their marriages. If they're somehow, you know what, you don't benefit me anymore, so therefore this thing isn't working out. Oh, you're sick. And you know what? And you think about the vows and having performed many weddings. You know, I think about this. You promise to, you know, to love, honor, to cherish, to commit to uh, through what? Through richer, through poorer, through good times, bad times, sickness and in health and all those vows that are shared. And people say, oh, I promise to do that. Oh, you're sick. You don't provide anything to me anymore. So I'll see you later. Oh, you, you got this. Or, oh, we're having financial problems. Oh, you know what? I don't need that aggravation anymore. I'll go find someone else to take care of me. And we bail and we jump out. It's unbelievable the unconcerned response of one or the other that says, you know what, I don't need you anymore. You don't provide what you used to provide. You don't do for me what you used to do for me. And you know what, I don't need you as a result. You know, and, and the, if you want to test yourself, let me just challenge you to consider this. Your spouse comes to you after the last time we got together and says, honey, I need to talk to you about something. This little undermining activities that was mentioned this morning. You know, we need to communicate about this because there's something that is really bothering me and, and, and I've let it grow into resentment and anger and hatred and even some bitterness towards you because of it. And you know what? And, and yeah, you know what? Golf is a problem in our relationship. Oh, computers are a problem in our relationship. Oh, your job has been a problem in our relationship. You know, there, there's other things that you have put before me that I just feel like you've put me on the back burner and it's a problem, honey, and we need to deal with it. Unconcerned response. Hey. I can't do anything about it. I don't care to do anything about it. I'm not going to do anything about it. It's not my problem. It's your problem. You're selfish and even mentioning that to me. Don't you know how hard I work all week? That's why I should be able to go out and play golf when I want. Don't you realize how much I provide for you? I should be able to sit and hide and bury myself in my den and shut the door and just sit and look at a computer if I want. Don't you understand what I'm going through in life? You know what? I mean, it's not my problem. You're being selfish. That is an unconcerned response to someone in your relationship that has a need that needs to be met, and you could care less. Now, whether you convey that that way or not, and, and even worse than that is people that I know that say, oh, you know what, honey, you're right. I need to do something about that. And then never do a thing about it. Never take an action step. There's a hurricane coming, honey. Oh, you know what? You're right. I need to do something about that. And then you continue to do the same things that you've done, and they're trying to address it, and you can't get anything accomplished because you've ignored all of the warning signs, and then you wonder one day, what happened? What happened was you were selfish. What happened was you never paid attention to the warning signs. What happened was she tried to warn you, he tried to warn you, and you didn't listen. You had your own agenda. There were other things that were more important. That's what happened. God says, you know what? Man's not independent of woman. 1 Corinthians 11, 11. In the Lord, however, you know, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. That a relationship, as we blow out those two candles, there's no longer two people anymore. There's one person. There's one identity. And you can't separate yourself from yourself. I cannot ignore my wife without it costing me something. I can't, she cannot ignore me without it costing her something. There's intimacy there that's destroyed for, as we ignore one another. Proverbs 18.1 says, An unfriendly man pursues selfish ends, and he defies all sound judgment. You know, what the world we live in shouts, Independence! You need to be independent, lady. The Beijing conference, you, Women, you don't need men anymore. Is the lie. Men, you don't need a woman. That's a lie. God says it's interdependence. Not independence. And we need to recognize that for what it is. Interdependence. 
It's the oil that reduces the friction in every marriage. I need my wife, and I know she needs me. And we can never take that for granted, and we can never forget that. The moment that we do is when we run into trouble. And let me tell you something, life's a trade-off. The moment you got married, whether you like it or not, you became accountable to another human being. You can't go and do what you want to do because you want to do it. You just can't show up when you're supposed to show up somewhere. If you're going to be late for, from work, then you pick up the phone call and you be courteous and respectful just as if you were going somewhere else. You know what? If I have an appointment with someone and I'm running late, the first thing I do is stop and pick up a phone. Why? Because it's, common, it's just common decency. It's respect for the person that's waiting on the other end. And, and, and why do we not do the same thing with our spouse? If you're running late, why not pick up the phone and say, Honey, I'm sorry I'm running late, but you know what? I'll be home at such and such a time, and I just didn't want you to what? To worry about me. If your spouse cares at all about you, you know he or she's going to be worried about you if you don't show up somewhere when you're supposed to. Pick up a phone. How hard is that? And most of us even have them with us. Everyone, you know, it's like anywhere you go, there's a phone right there. Here, call. You got to call someone? Call right now. I'll get this phone for you. It's like, you know, how hard is this? But we're rude. We're inconsiderate. And most of the time it's our spouse who we're the most considerate with. And we need to knock that stuff off. We're not independent. We're interdependent. And anything less than that is nothing but selfishness. Number six, we also need to understand this. That many marriages fail because of what's called unreasonable demands. Unreasonable demands. You know what? I, I wonder how many marriages fail because someone in the relationship just throws up their hands and says, I give up. I cannot do this anymore. No matter what I do, no matter how hard I try, I just can't live up to the expectations of my spouse. I give up. Why? Because of unreasonable demands. A sense of frustration that no matter how hard I try, it's just not good enough. There's so much pressure on each one of us, so many things that are bombarding us from so many directions. We need to understand, you know what? Oftentimes we expect too much. Oftentimes we, we want too much. And all that it does is produce frustration on the part of our spouse. You know, I sat down the other day and I made a list of all the things that people expect me to do. And, you know, it's amazing if you want to really get frustrated, sit down and make a list of everything people expect you to do. Went to the dentist not too long ago. You know what he expects me to do? He expects me to, no, I say he expects me to floss every day. It's like, hey, buddy, I got a life. You know what? Hey, I'm doing good. I brush every day, all right? And everyone around me seems to be satisfied with that. And you want me to floss every day. Now, I know the teeth is like a big thing to you. You know, because you're a dentist, but give me a break. But he expects me to floss every day. And then you go to the doctor, they expect you to keep track of how much you weigh, how much fat intake you're taking in. Like you're going to have time to read the labels. It's like you're going to have time to eat the food. It's like I've got to start reading labels. I've got to like give up four or five other things I'm doing in my life. You know, how much, what's your cholesterol count? It's like these are things that nobody else in the history of the world ever had to worry about. Pass that big old steak, we're busy. You know what I mean? <laughs> what in the world? I'm not worried about my cholesterol count. 
It's like the last thing, oh, gee, well, no, I'm dying. I should have taken better care of my cholesterol count. Oh, you know, there's, little, there's more important things in life to worry about at that point. My accountant wants me to keep better records. I got everything on a computer now. I waste my life away keeping track of all the money that's going out, trying to figure out why more goes out than comes in. You know, and, and hustling to keep more coming in so that more doesn't go out, so there's some kind of healthy balance there. And he wants better records of that. You know, our creditors, it's interesting, they want us to pay every month in business. They want us to, you know, they want us, and they want us to take discounts and stuff. And, and then advertisers are bombarding us, telling us how discontent we should be because we don't have more things that we don't need, but we don't think that we need them. But now that I just saw somebody pacing up and down with an advertising card, I think maybe I need that. You know, so that's what they want. That's what they expect. Our customers... They want us to meet deadlines. They want us to, to do everything right the first time, of course, to do it with excellence, quicker, better, cheaper, faster, always. And then when they find out you're a Christian, always with the right Christian attitude. Church wants you to be available. They want you to be for everything. Oh, we're having this. You've got to be there. If you're not here, you're not a team player, faithful in attendance. You've got to go to everything that's out there, always willing to serve, spending time, committees, boards, teaching, you know, giving regularly. I mean, you know, if you don't do that, there's something wrong with you. There must be something wrong with your spiritual life. My wife every now and then wants me to do stuff. Would you just kind of move the couch about four inches over? Hey, look, I'm trying to floss. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and, and she expects certain things, you know. It's like, hey, you know, my, my kids expect me to be an understanding father, you know, big, you know the spiritual guide to the family, and, and rightfully so. You know, you know I'm, I'm looking at all this going. They want me to spend more time with them. When they're little, they want me to play with them. Then when they get older, they want me to help with their homework, and I'd rather just roll them on the floor and tickle their belly, you know. <laughs> Because the homework stuff can give you a headache. And it's like, I'm going, man, I went through, what, 16, 18 years of school, and they come home and say, could you help me do my homework? I'm like, oh, what? No, 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 do, do your own homework. I'm tired. I'm worn out. I did this for 100 years. I, I, don't, under, I don't need this anymore. It's like, and, and then you go, oh, you go through all these things, and you go, man, you know what? And then they want, like, oh, I'm turning 16. I need to drive. You don't need to drive. You want to drive. Well, that's the, yeah, I guess, but I really need to because everybody I know is driving. Well, then get a ride with them. All right, case closed. <laughs> and then they want to go to college and stuff, so you got to save for college. And then it's like all these other things like sports and, and, and you know, baseball leagues and soccer leagues and, and community activities and civic clubs and political parties. And then on top of all that, I need to be an informed voter. Go, okay, well, that's great. And, you know, and then I'm thinking, you know what? All the stuff that's going on really has a way to kind of separate us in our relationship with one another. I mean, how many times are you driving one way and your wife's driving the other way and you wave? You know, sometimes you just feel like slapping her five as she goes by. Hey, nice to see you. Hey, there you go. You know, like a tag team. Okay, now you jump out, kids. You get in that truck and you go over that car and you go this way and we'll go that way and we'll see you somewhere. Okay, dokey. You know, that's kind of the way it is. And this is all the stuff that's going on and you have to be able to do all these things. And that's what's expected of you. And the pressures are all over the place. And so it's easy to see how in a relationship, all of a sudden, we're going two different directions. And then you have people one day that say, you know what? We're just not on the same page anymore. I guess not. You're not even in the same book anymore. You know, you need to spend time together. You need to make sure that all these things aren't stealing that time. And, and, and all these unreasonable demands. I love the song, Otis Redding song, Sitting by the Dock of the Bay. I don't know. I, I was listening to it. It was on the radio the other day. And there were some lyrics that grabbed me. And here's what he said. He goes, he goes, at the end of the song, he says, I can't do what ten people tell me to do. So guess what? So guess I'll remain the same. 
And that's sometimes what happens in a relationship. I can't do what everybody wants me to do. And that's true. But let me just kind of define a couple areas that you need to do. One is you need to do what God tells you to do. And the second thing is you need to do whatever you have to do to make sure that your marriage is the second most important thing in your life after your relationship to God. Because I'll tell you what, if you're doing what God tells you to do, the second thing is going to be real easy because there's nothing more important to God than marriage and family. There's nothing more important than your spouse and your children. There's nothing more important in your life than doing what God has called you to do. See, we need to understand there's demands all over the place, and they're unreasonable in a lot of cases. And you know what? I've just kind of got it down to, you know what? I'm going to do what God has called me to do, and I'm going to do everything I can to be the kind of husband and the father that God has called me to be. And everything else in life, all these other things shall be added unto me. Everything else falls in place. Because I'll tell you what, when my family is together, business takes care of itself. When my family's together, all the rest of things in life takes care of itself. When my family's together, then I can stand here and I can teach and I can preach and I can tell people how true the Word of God is. But you know what? If all hell's breaking loose in my family and we're not on the same page, my, my wife and I, you know what? I can't stand here. I don't have anything to offer anymore. But I'll tell you this, I know one thing, when God comes first and my family comes second, then all these other things take care of themselves. Take it for what it's worth. But I'll tell you right now, we need to be reasonable in our demands with one another. That's why the Bible says, 1 Peter 3, 7, that we talked in the grace series, husbands in the same way, be considerate. Be considerate as you live with your wives and treat them with respect as a weaker partner and heirs with you of the gracious gift of life so that nothing will hinder your prayers. A command to men to be sensitive to our wives physically and emotionally and the differences and to recognize them and to accept them and, and to do what we can. Many marriages fail when we try to change our spouse. You know, not, there's nothing wrong with communicating areas where we're having differences. We need to be able to do that in a healthy manner. But stop trying to change your spouse and expect them to be any more than what God expects them to be. And even when you expect them to be what God expects them to be, then expect God to deal with them and not you to take it into your own hands. The quiet, submissive spirit of a loving wife that prays for her husband while God's dealing with him reaps dividends beyond any of your wildest imaginations versus you trying to change them. It's just not going to happen. Men, don't expect your wife to be any more than what God expects her to be. Don't expect her to be like that gal in the, in the sports section that's jumping out of the spa. You know, it's like so many guys, my wife's not that gal that she used to be. Either are you, Dunlop, you know? <laughs> what in the world? You know, sure she isn't. You know, and sometimes ladies don't expect your husband. I mean, I know it's tough, and, but sometimes you just go, you know what, I love him despite the fact that he leaves that toilet seat up. You know, I love him despite the fact he can't pick up his underwear. You know, I love him fact. Whatever it is, you know, I still love him anyway. See, we need to work our differences out, but we need to accept one another and love each other through it as God deals with those areas of our life. You know, and, and, and it doesn't get any better than that. Number five, unfulfilled needs and expectations. Unfulfilled needs and expectations. This specifically deals with the area of sexual fulfillment. But in 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5, we read, The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife's body doesn't belong to her own alone but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body doesn't belong to him, but also to his wife. And don't deprive each other, except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. 
Let me just tell you this. We'll, we'll get into this when we talk about sexual fulfillment in a relationship in a marriage. But bottom line is this, that you, sir, are God's instrument for pleasure for your wife. So today, when you go home, I know she'll have a heart attack probably for some of you, and you say, you know what, honey? I am here as God's instrument to meet all your physical needs. Preach it, brother! Man, you woke up just in time, sir. Oh, this is great. He's up there going, if he gets to anything on sex, wake me up. All right. Hey, and the same thing. Hey, ladies, same thing with you. I'm here for you. Katerina, <laughs> whatever. You know, and we need to recognize it. We need to understand it. And, and it's important to realize why that's so true. We'll get into all this in greater detail later. But the reason for it is simple. And that is the fourth reason that marriages fail is unfaithful actions on the part of one of the spouses. And it's a real sensitive issue. One counselor said that 92% of all of his clients have been affected at some point or another in some way by unfaithfulness on the part of a spouse. And it's sad. But it's true, and we need to deal with it. But let me just tell you something. As long as I've lived, and as many people as we've gotten involved with, I have come to the conclusion that there is very rarely ever an innocent party in this matter. I'm not saying what the person did is right, so don't go walking out of here saying that I said something I didn't say. And let me explain this very clearly. Adultery, sexual immorality, outside of marriage activities is wrong before God. There's no ifs, ands, buts about it. Amen. All right? Let's also understand the other side of this because it's a flip-sided coin. There have been many people who have got involved in a relationship outside their marriage only because the person inside their marriage didn't do what he or she was supposed to do to meet the needs of their spouse. Now, God knows better than I do how true that is. But what I have found in my experience in dealing with people, there's oftentimes a spouse that says, you know what, I understand why that happened because I was too busy on my job. I was too busy in my hobbies. I was too busy in all the things I thought were more important. Listen, buddy, you know what? How stupid can we get if we think that it's more important to be out making a lot of money to give to our spouse so that they can have things and not have you? And how silly it is for them to have all those things and to take them into a new relationship with somebody else because you weren't there when they needed you because you were out doing something else. So let's not get caught up in all this and understand that, you know what, unfaithful actions, oftentimes there's, a, there's, a, there's really a, a two, two sides to the coin. And we'll deal more on that later when we talk about how to a fair proof of marriage. But I, I heard of a guy that we're in business with, and uh, basically what happened was I just found out that they got divorced. He has 41 years old. His wife's 40, I think. They've been married 18 years, have two teenage kids. I get a phone call saying, man, you know what, I don't know if you know, but so-and-so got divorced. Oh, come on now. He goes, yeah, you know what? She came to him and said, you know what, honey? We're just not, we're just not getting along anymore. We have problems in our relationships. We're just not as intimate as we were. Things aren't as, the way they used to be. We need to get something worked out. And he said, hey, I'll do whatever I got to do. We'll go to counseling. I'll do whatever if I'm spending too much time at work. I mean, there's nothing more important in our marriage. Oh, great, okay. Two weeks go by. She comes back and she says, you know what? This just isn't working out. Well, give it more time. Well, you know what? I, I've given it plenty of time in my own mind because, you see, eight months ago I met somebody else and I've been involved sexually with him since then. 
And so this just isn't working out, so I'm sorry, but I want a divorce. You see, the interesting thing is, is that many of us want intimacy. We want a relationship. We want to be close to someone of the opposite sex because God designed us that way unless we're designed as, you know, a single person that's celibate and doesn't have any desire for that. But the reality is if you're designed for that kind of intimacy and you're not getting it in your relationship at home, you end up finding it somewhere else. And that's not right, folks. That's just the way it is. And what we need to understand is that's one of the reasons that marriages fail. That's one of the warning signs. That's something that we have to heed. That's something we have to take action to prevent. We've got to do something about it. We just can't go below deck and pretend it's not happening. Number three, unresolved conflicts. Things that have been building up over a long point in your relationship, you haven't dealt with them, they're still out there, they're unresolved issues, and you're afraid to talk about them because every time you bring them up, another argument starts. You know what I'm talking about? Those sensitive areas that every time you try to discuss it, no matter what approach you take, no matter what time of day, no matter when it is, whether it's out over dinner, whether it's walking down the street, whether it's in the middle of a heated argument or debate about something that's going on, these are those unresolved conflicts that you just can't seem to get eye to eye and you can't accept one another's differences in those areas. These will undermine and erode and destroy a relationship as fast as anything else. An offended brother may add an offended spouse is more unyielding than a fortified city and disputes are like barred gates of a castle. I got people say, arguing is so much fun. It's so healthy in our relationship. Why is that, sir? Oh, because you should see how we make up. Oh, great. But you know what? Don't misunderstand what God's saying. Arguments, there are no place in a relationship for heated arguments. There's no place to be yelling and screaming at each other. There's no need for that. It's unnecessary. It's uncalled for. And it's wrong before God. If you have a disagreement or a difference, sit down and discuss it together. Sit down and pray about it before you meet together. Sit down and look at all the facts and the evidence and be able to objectively deal with it together. Why? Because it comes down to this. We're in this together, babe. This isn't me versus you. This isn't, I'm trying to win at your expense. This is, I see a big picture and a problem here, and we need to resolve it together. And if your spouse is convinced of the fact that it's we relationship and not you versus me, then you're going to be able to sit down and deal with issues that are so sensitive that nobody else could ever do it except the two of you because you're united and you're like-minded on getting it resolved. But you have to be confident of that before you enter into these discussions because it's not that you're looking for a way out, it's looking for a way better. Unresolved issues and conflicts that build up over a long period of time. All of a sudden, someone says, yeah, I've been married 25 years, but I can't take it anymore. Why? Because in the second year of our marriage, he did this to me. Oh, my gosh, your second year of your marriage, he did that, and 25 years later, you're finally getting around to divorce. Why? Because it's been festering that long, and I can't take it anymore. Well, then, let me just add this. Why don't you learn to forgive? Because the second reason marriages fail is the fact that we don't know how to forgive each other. We're not perfect. We all mess up. I don't care what's happened in your marriage. The power of forgiveness is a strong ointment to be able to resolve those differences. Think about it right now. You may be thinking, but I can't forgive him for this. I can't forgive her for this. Let me tell you something. You have to. You have to. Because if you don't, your marriage cannot survive. If you don't, it'll never be what God has intended marriage to be. If you do not forgive, you will not have intimacy. You will not have contentment. You will not have joy in your relationship. If you cannot forgive, then you might as well just write it off because it's over, even if you're still living in the same house together. We have got to be able to sit down with one another. 
to bear our souls with one another, to speak the truth with one another, and say, you know what? I'm still hurt because of something that you did in 1952. And today is the day that God has finally got me to the point where I need to forgive you for it. And I need you to forgive me for the fact that for the last 40 years, I've been holding it against you. And I've never been the kind of spouse that I should have been. Be kind and tender-hearted to one another. Forgiven one another just as God in Christ has forgiven you. God, help us to understand that. And we'll deal with it more as we go on. And the last thing, number one, and I really believe that it is the number one reason why marriages fail, and I, unforgiving attitudes is a huge one as well. But when Jesus was asked why marriages fail, this is what he said. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But don't you ever forget that it was not this way from the very beginning. It was never God's intention for a man and a wife to be divorced. Never, ever. It was marriage companionship for a lifetime, intimacy for a lifetime. And when they came to him and said, well, then why did Moses permit it? Say, hey, you know what? Moses, first of all, didn't command They said, why did he command it? He said, Moses didn't command it. He permitted it. And the only reason he permitted it was because your hearts were so hard. You're stiff-necked people. You're boneheaded people. You're stubborn people. And you're selfish people. And the bottom line is the reason that you get divorced, and you can throw out all the other 50, 100 reasons that you want, but the bottom line reason why people get divorced is because they're stubborn, they're selfish, and they want to do their own thing. One of them or the other, and in many cases, both. And that's what it comes down to. It doesn't get any plainer than that, and I know people don't want to hear it, but I don't care what you want to hear because it's truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a warning sign. And, man, I'm dealing with people all the time who the bottom line is this. You know what? Well, this is why. That's not why. Well, then this is why. That's not why. Well, then maybe it's this. No, that's not it either, is it? No. What's it come down to? Because I just want to. That's why. Because I just want to do what I want to do, and I want to do my own thing. And I want to be who I am because I haven't been who I am for a long time. We'll all be okay when this is all said and done. When it's all over with, everything's just going to be fine because I just want to be who I am because I'm stubborn, I'm boneheaded, and I'm a stiff-necked person. God, help us to understand that if we're going to save our marriages, if we're going to preserve lives, then we need to heed the warnings. And there's no clearer warnings than what God has given us in these ten reasons why marriages fail. Now, the bottom line of all of it is this. What are you going to do about it? What are you going to do with everything that you, you heard? What are you going to do with everything you jotted down? What are you going to do with your notes? What do you, I mean, what are you going to do with this stuff? It doesn't do a thing if you don't put it into action. It is a waste of all of our time to be here if you're not going to do something with what you learn. And there's nothing that break my heart more, nothing to break God's heart more either than to take the time to give us all this information and to warn us about all this truth and have us just be stiff-necked, stubborn, boneheaded people that are bent on just destroying ourselves and all the people around us. God, help us not to do that. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time to be together. We thank you for the clarity of your word, how concise it is, how relevant it is for issues of today. God, I just pray that in any of these ten areas, if, if just we would take one and just work on that now, that we would be so much better off because of it. God, help us to be sensitive to one another, to be able to share with one another, to be open with each other. 
to see that you're a God of miracles. And even in a situation where we look at it and say, this is an impossible situation, that that's exactly what you specialize in. God, I thank you as in my own marriage and as marriages as I look around at friends where you have stepped in, you have intervened, and, and you have healed those relationships. And you've made it into something that was just an impossible thing to believe could even take place. I just thank you for that. And I just pray for those who are struggling right now that they would just trust you. You tell us that unless you build the house, they labor in vain who builds it. God, help us to trust you, to believe in you, and then to take the action steps that are necessary to heed the warnings that you've given us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Next week we're going to talk about...